Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm going to be speaking today, so it's not too late to head out the door. If you thought Matt was speaking and found out you're stuck with Dan, you're like, dang, the B team's here today. So but anyway, but uh, how many people went downtown Indianapolis this week? All right. Yeah, I was there uh, Friday with half the U.S. population. Uh, man, but very, very, very cool. And uh, the city did a really, really good job. And while I was down there, I came up with this great idea. And Matt, I didn't tell you about this yet, but I knew you wouldn't mind. And I thought, it's going to help the church budget. We've renamed some things here today. Um, this is currently the Bud Light Boys and Girls Club, okay? So, and uh, Jeremy Clark, it's the Verizon Worship Band today, okay? And the kids downstairs, they're the Pepsi kids today. So I knew you wouldn't mind. So I went ahead and, uh, I went ahead and made a few phone calls and got that taken care of. So anyway, no, I'm just this total joke. So anyway, hey, let me say a quick prayer and then we're going to get into our study, okay? Hey, God, um, the teaching from your word, you tell us, is a very powerful thing, and it has the ability for us to tap into the invisible world, for you to speak to us, and for you to teach us things, to show us things, to convict us of things. And today, I pray that that would happen. And um, Father, I would just be the mouthpiece, but we would be able to see truths which you have set aside, and because of them, we would be able to apply them to our lives. And that's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to think of a time in your life where you were lost, completely lost, didn't know where you were, weren't sure how you got there, weren't sure how you were going to get out of the situation that you were in. And when, you, when that comes to mind, that may be, it may be a long time for you. Maybe it's recent, maybe it's 10 years ago, maybe it's when you were a child, but we all know what that feeling is when we're lost, right? We're just not a good feeling. And if I'm honest, if I, if I see it happen a lot in modern day adults, 2012, I see more people lost in the parking lot than anywhere else. Have you ever noticed that? People looking for their car in the parking lot. And if you've been to a big mall, you know that that happens. If you've been to a parking garage or at the airport, you know, there's something about when you park your car on Monday because you're going to Florida for a week and they put those little signs like A6 up there, but you're like, man, I'm going to Disney World. And then you come back like six days later and you're like, where in the heck did my car go? Like, what was that? There was a number and a letter, and I can't. And then, if you ever want to know who is lost, you look for the people that have their key fob above their head, and they're walking around pressing it and spinning around like this, right? Because they're looking for to set their car alarm off, or, you know, their lights are going to flash, or trunks are popping open, and different, all kinds of things. But, you know, they're totally lost. They have no idea where their car is. Now, I want to take that same idea of being lost and I want to translate it to our personal finances. Because when it comes to the realm of money, there are a lot of people who are completely lost financially. All right, completely lost when it comes to the realm of how do I handle my money? How do I honor God with my money? What does God want me to do in the, in the scope of money? There are so many, even Christians, that are completely lost. So I came up with a few things to figure out if you're lost, okay? And these may not apply to you, and maybe they do apply to you. If you spend more money than you make in a year, you are completely lost financially, if you don't know if you spend more money than you make in a year, 
Okay, you are lost financially. If you don't care that you don't know that you spend more money in a year than you make, you're lost. If you're paying the minimum amount on your credit card bill every single month, you're financially lost. Or if you think that it's wise financial planning to pay the minimum amount on your credit card bill every month, then you're financially lost. If you have no idea how big your student loan is, could be 10,000, could be 100,000, could be a quarter of a million dollars. If you have no idea how big that number is, then perhaps you're financially lost. If you're making a good living, if you're making a decent wage, if you're above poverty and you're, you're getting a, a good deal of money, but you have no idea where it all goes. You have no idea why there's none left at the end of the month and how it all went out, then you're financially lost. I came up with some shocking statistics about money in Americans, and, and I, could, I could give you like a, a thousand of them, but here's just a few, and I think they're going to be on the screen. Over 1.5 million people filed bankruptcy in 2010. 50% of Americans have less than one month's income saved. 56% of people have no idea what their credit score is. 57% of households don't have a budget. 61% of Americans live paycheck by paycheck, which is up 49% from a year ago, and more than one in five of those people make over $100,000 a year. The average credit card debt in the United States is $7,394 per household. Now, here's what we're going to talk about it today. Jesus said way too much about money for us to be financially lost. He talked about money a lot. If you read through the New Testament, Jesus talked about money a great deal. And here's the thing. If you're a follower of Christ, if you proclaim to be a Christian, and you're financially lost, your finances are in ruins— you can never be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be financially lost. Because if you're financially lost, there will be things that you are not able to, to fully be all that God wants you to be because of these issues with money that are going to keep coming up and up. Now, Jesus talked a lot about money in the New Testament, but he never asked for any. It's an interesting thing. He talked about money, but he never asked for any. Jesus believed, though, that there was a connection between money and our heart. And because of that connection between money and our heart, that's why he talked about it a lot. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven, hell, or forgiveness, totally combined. He talked more about money than those things. So today, we're going to look and talk about how do we honor God with our money, and so we've been in this series called G, and I was trying to think of what the G stood for today, and I decided it stands for George Washington, okay? So that's what, it, that's what it stands for. It stands for George Washington. This is just kind of like, how do we glorify, how do we honor God with our money? And we're not going to look at one specific passage. A lot of times when I teach, I like to look at one passage and really unpack it, but today we're going to be all over the place. And... Um, if, if you are not a follower of Christ, if you came today just because somebody invited you or there was a cute girl that you wanted to sit next to, and, and you're not even sure if you believe in this Bible Christianity stuff, I got good news. Everything we're going to talk about today will be applicable to your life, even if you're not sure if you believe the whole Bible Jesus thing, okay? So 
it's good that you're here. Another thing, no matter what stage in life you're at, I think there are things that we're going to talk about today that are going to be good for you. If you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're a young adult, have your first job, if you're young married, if you're 30-something, if you've got a family, if you're retired, everything that we're going to talk about will be applicable to us in, in a different way. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you with five decisions that I'm going to challenge you to make that will help you glorify God with your finances and how you handle your money. So if you decide to do these five things, here's what's going to happen. You will move from a place of being lost financially to a place where you'll find peace and a place where you'll find contentment. And and it's going to remove a lot of pressure. You're going to be able to avoid a lot of pressure. And it's interesting that many of us, we take our money cues and our spending habits, we take them from a culture and from an economy that wants nothing for us, but wants everything from us. So all the commercials, everything that we see, they want nothing for us. They, have, they do not have our best interest at heart, but they want something from us. They want our money. They want part of our paycheck, but they want nothing for us. But your heavenly father wants something for you. Jesus didn't talk about money because he wanted something from you. He talked about money because he wanted something for you. And that's what we're going to look at today. So five challenges for you today about how to honor God with your money. Here's the first one. Acknowledge that God is the source of your income and that your role is to manage it. God is the source of your money and your role is to manage it. When the McMorans were up here last week, you heard them kind of talk about that, that realization. They went through a Crown Ministries program, and it helped them understand that, you know, everything that I have is, is comes from God. It, it doesn't come from me. It's, you know, my paycheck, I don't get it just because I'm, like, really smart or great-looking or very athletic. It, it, it all comes from God. It's, God's the source of everything that we have. I want you to hear a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It's in the Old Testament. This is what it says. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Say that with me. He is the one. He is the one. He's the one who gives you the power to be successful. It comes from no one else. And when you acknowledge that, that is going to help you honor God with your money. Think of it as a faucet. All right, many of us use a faucet. We take a shower, we take a, we wash our hands, we use the drinking fountain. Okay, nowhere ever have you thought that you were the one that was providing the water, right? You turn on the faucet, the water comes out, you use it, you turn it off. That's very much the way that it is when we handle our money. God is the source of the money. He's providing the water. It's our job to be the ones that are turning it on and turning it off and managing it correctly. And when we think of it in those terms, it helps us to understand that everything that I have comes from God. So if I realize that and I handle my, my money in that way, I will make better decisions than if I do it a, a different way. So the first wise choice with your finances is to realize that God is the source who provides your job is to manage. Here's the second challenge I have for you. Choose a percentage of your income to live on and then live on that percentage. Choose a percentage of your income to live on and then live on that percentage. Now, the first thing you have to do is figure out what percentage of your income that you're living on. And some of you may go, well, I have no idea. Well, if you have no idea, the first thing you need to do is figure that out. Because all of us are living on a percentage of our income. 
Some people live on 105% of their income. Now, that, that can't last forever, but people live on their credit cards and banks who will give you more money than you actually make, and so you're living on more money than you're actually bringing in. So, instead of allowing the culture to give us bad habits and greed to decide, you need to decide what percentage of your income that you're going to live on. There's a great saying that I want you to see, and I think it's going to be up on the screen, and this is not original to me, but I love what this says. It's more fun to choose what I will not own than to own what I cannot afford. All right, does everyone... Does everyone understand that? And, and for some of us in here who are a little older, we've made that mistake before, right? Have you ever bought something and it was so much fun, you thought it was going to bring you so much joy, and then once you had it, you realized that it wasn't really that much fun, and the payments that I had to send in every month to pay for it made me wish that I never would have bought it? But if you, if you can realize that it's more fun to choose what I will not own than to own what I cannot afford, it's better to, to think, you know what, I could drive that, but... I've chosen not to. I could buy that at the mall and wear it, but I'm not going to do that. I could upgrade and get one of those new things, but I'm not going to do that. Because we get in trouble when we create a lifestyle that requires 100% or 103% or 105% of our money and our monetary resources. We get ourselves in a jam. We get ourselves in trouble. So choose a percentage of your income to live on and then live on it. Let's go to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 21. We're going to look at a lot of Proverbs here this morning. Verse 20, here's what it says. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. They spend whatever they get. And if if you're in a habit of you're managing money, you just spend every dime that you ever get. That's not a real smart way to handle your money and it does not honor God. Because the gap between lifestyle and income, if you can create a gap between where your income is and where your lifestyle is, that gap, it's called peace. Because at the end of the month, you know, you know what, I've got money to pay this stuff and I've got money to do some other things and I'm not gonna be freaked out when there's not enough money to cover all the things that I'm responsible for. So choose a percentage and stick to it. Now, if you're in college or you're in high school, all right, let let me talk to you for a second because you're thinking, Dan, I don't really make any money. You know, in fact, I'm like living off of either my mom and dad or student loans or I don't have any money. The stage of life that you're in, when you get your first job, when you start getting your first paycheck, you will never be able to live cheaper at that point in your life than any other point in your life. That will be the cheapest part. So when I talk about margin, if, if you can get that first job and decide I'm going to live on this. This is going to be my margin. This is going to be the percentage of income that I'm going to live on. You will save yourself so much heartache. Then the opposite is I've got my first job. I'm just going to go out and buy new furniture. I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy and spend all of your money and realize that there's not enough left. I've never heard someone say, you know what? My problem is, (sighs) my problem is I don't spend enough money. If I spent more money, it would solve all of my problems. I've never talked to a married couple or heard a wife say, if my husband would just spend more money, I just wish he would buy a bass boat. I just wish he would go out and he would put new tires, new bigger wheels on his Jeep. I just wish he would do that. No one ever says that. But you hear a lot of the opposite. Because we go out, we spend money, we make decisions, we spend every bit of money that we have plus some, and and then we end up with 
stress. We end up with worry. We end up with where, you know, how am I going to pay for all this stuff? My wife and I did some marriage counseling with a couple about 10 years ago. And they'd been married, I think, about 12 years at the time. And there were a lot of issues going on with this couple. And, and they were really about ready to throw in the towel. The husband was just beside himself. Um, and, and here was the biggest issue. The wife wouldn't quit spending money. That, that, they had lots of issues, but that was the biggest issue. She could not stay away from the mall. She could not quit spending. And they had talked about it. They had come to agreements. And she would secretly get new credit cards and go out and spend more money. And then he would find out and the bills. And they had huge amounts of debt. But what happens when you spend more money than you actually make, when you don't have a percentage of your income that you live on, is that there's pressure Especially if you're married, there's lots of pressure, and, and, and that makes things difficult. And it's just, when you're living on the ragged edge of every dime that's coming in, you need to create margin for yourself. That will honor God in the way that you handle your money. Here's the third decision. Know what's coming in and where it's going out. Now, I'm going to pick on my wife, Pam, for a second. Now, in our house, I'm the one that takes care of the checkbook and pays the bills. She, she doesn't do that, and she doesn't even really want to know the details. But every time she looks at our checkbook, her reaction is always the same. Why isn't there more money in there? Okay, of, uh, of 23 years of marriage, we've n- she's never looked at the checkbook balance and go, wow, how did we get so much money? It's always, I thought there was more money than that in there. Because here's, here's the thing. It, there's always going to be less money than you think, all right, than you guess, all right? It's amazing. Your, your Starbucks, your gasoline, uh, going out to eat, all those little things in your mind. I think there's some kind of mathematical equation, but only like half of it registers, all right? And so when you look at your bank statement or your online banking, then you realize, I thought we had more money than that. And the problem is, if you're not looking at it, or if the person that you're married to is not looking at it consistently and monitoring it, you have no idea where the money is going, which creates all kinds of problems. So you need to figure out how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. Now back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 23. This is what we read. Know the state of your flocks, and put your heart into caring for your herds. Now, you're like, Dan, I don't have flocks, and I don't have a herd. Okay, I understand that. All right, you got to go back. In this culture, when this was written, herds and cattle and animals, that was the primary means of money. That if you had cows, you would trade cows for food. If, If you had sheep, you could trade sheep, and a guy would put a roof on your house. So when you think of it, it's, it's like paycheck. If you know the state of your finances or your paycheck or your checkbook, then put your heart into caring for those things. Because the opposite is true. If you don't, if you don't know anything about how much is in the bank, if you don't know anything about your paycheck, if you don't know where all that money is going, it's going to cause you problems and you're not going to be able to honor God. So I think of it as your, your bank account. Like I'm doing the online banking thing. I, I have to like look at it that way. Consider it a Facebook friend. You know, so you like check Facebook, you find out where your friend is, what they did last night. You look at their pictures and that. Just consider my bank account. Go check it every day. Look at it three times a week. Know where your money is. Know where it's going. Make sure you have a plan. I've known a couple, uh, Pam and I have known a couple that uh, they got married and they were married about five years. 
And both of them were horrible, horrible, horrible money managers. Completely horrible. They had no idea. They had no idea how much money was coming in. They had no idea how much money was coming out. And after about five years of marriage, it caused lots of problems. Lots of problems. So you need to know how much this money is coming in and where it's going out. Otherwise, it will, you will create, without trying, you will create an absolute mess. And if you don't figure out how much money is coming in and how much money is going out, there are people that will figure out that for you. It's usually called the bank or the credit card company. All right, and they will figure that out and they will call you at some point and let you know how upside down you are. And then they do things like remove your car in the middle of the night. Okay, they uh, evict you from your house. They start taking percentages of your paycheck away from you even though you don't want that to happen. That's the way it turns out. So know a percentage or know where your money's going and have a plan. The thing about the bank, the credit card companies, they don't want anything for you. All they want is something from you. All they want is their share. That's all they want. So why wouldn't you listen to what God says about money when you know that he wants something for you? Do yourself a huge favor and uh, know where your money goes. Challenge number four, and you heard Don talk about that a little bit this morning. Get rid of dumb debt. Now that's Dave Ramsey's term, but, but I like dumb debt because what he's saying is there's debt that, that is um, n- not a bad thing. I mean, you've got student loans. I understand people have to get through school. You may buy a house. Very few people can actually afford to pay cash. There's a mortgage. You may have a business loan because you went into business. Those things are understandable. But dumb debt, I'm talking about dumb debt. Dumb debt is buying coffee when you don't have the money to pay for it. Dumb debt is going to the mall and buying an outfit when you can't afford it. Dumb debt is putting a stereo system in your car that makes it go and you really don't have the money to put a stereo in your car and now your stereo is worth three times as much as your car is okay (laughs) and you put it on a credit card and you can't really make the monthly payments all right that's dumb debt that is dumb debt you need to get rid of it you need to stay out of it and get out of dumb debt now back to Solomon in the book of Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 this is why This verse tells us why. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So when you owe money to someone, you are a servant to them. You're a servant to the bank. You're a servant. And to honor God with your money is to to not let yourself get into that situation. All those things that I talked about, all your coffee, all your mall, all your stereo, all your none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad as long as you can afford to pay for them. But when you start buying the things that you really can't afford to pay for because you don't have a margin of, that you live on and you're living above your means, that's when it creates problems. That's when it creates problems. So get rid of dumb debt. I heard a story recently of a small group um, not at this church, this is a different small group, that was talking about this issue, and they all decided that they would take a whiteboard and all of them would um, honestly write up on the board all their credit card balances for everyone else to see. Now, that would be a little scary. For some, that may be really, really scary. But here's what the point was. They decided that they were better off if people who loved them and wanted something for them knew how much money they owed on their credit cards and would hold them accountable to help them get out of debt. 
Because no matter how big, if you have debt or credit card debt and you may think no one knows, somebody does know how much that is. But that person who knows is on the support desk in Cleveland, Ohio, and they really don't care about you. All they want is their money back. So why wouldn't you instead put yourself in a relationship with somebody who cares about you, wants what's best for you, and will help you get out of that debt? For your sake, for your spouse's sake, for your future spouse's sake, you just need to to get out of dumb debt. Things that you buy and can't really afford to pay at the end of the month, make sure you don't get yourself in that situation. Be accountable to someone. All right, last thing I want to challenge you with. Here's number five. Arrange your personal finances so that you can give first, save second, and live on the rest. This is kind of the culmination of all these other things that we've talked about. Give first, save second, and live off the rest. All right, let's talk about these three things. Give first. Listen to the writer in Proverbs chapter nine, or chapter three, starting with verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Again, that was kind of the culture that they lived in. Um, herds and, and uh, agriculture. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. When you give to God first, before anyone else, right off the top of, the, of your income, you honor God by doing that. And it shows that God is not just getting your leftovers. Three reasons why you need to give first. First, when you give first to God, very first, it breaks the grip of greed. And in our culture, we have a lot of greed. All the advertisers know that. That's why they show us new things that we need to buy, things that we didn't even know existed, things that you just can't live without unless you have one of those. If you give to God first, it shatters that grip of greed because you're saying, you know what? God, I'm going to honor you first of all because you're the source of where everything comes from and, and I'm going to give to you. And being generous guards our heart towards greed. Secondly, it builds faith and trust in God. When you give to God first, it shows that, God, I trust you, that you're the one who all this comes from. And if it stops or if it changes or if it gets bigger or if it gets smaller, whatever it is, I trust that you are going to take care of me, you are going to provide for me, and I am going to be a good steward of that which you give me. So acknowledge that. You're going to give first. Secondly, you're going to save second. In Proverbs 21.5, we read, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning means that you save some money, that there's some margin there. You're not spending everything you have, that there's margin. You're giving to God, you're saving second, and you're going to live off the rest. Because first of all, if you save second, it does create margin. It creates that margin that gives you a gap that if you lose your job, if you can't work because of a health issue, if who knows, all kinds of things can happen. The transmission of the car breaks down. All of those things, there's some margin there and you're not like freaking out because you got this bill that you didn't expect. So save second. The second reason to do this is re- just relieve stress. Because money, when I talk with couples, sometimes if couples um, come to me or talk and, and there's issues, it's usually about sex, kids, or money. Those three things. Am I right, Matt? That would take like 99% of it. Sex, kids, and money. Those are the things. And, and, and sometimes they're all twisted together, okay? Into like this sex, money, kids thing that's all twisted. And you can't even figure out like where it's all at. But those three topics always show up. So 
If you, give, if you save second, give to God first, save second, you are going to create and remove a lot of stress from your life, from your marriage, from your situation. Okay, and the third thing is it's just wise to do. Even if you don't believe in all this Christian Jesus stuff, you find any secular money manager and they're going to tell you you need to be saving money. You need to be thinking about retirement. You need to be planning for the future. So you're going to give first, you're going to save second, and then the last thing is you're going to live on the rest. And God gave you money to enjoy, to buy things. And if you can afford them, buy them. Enjoy them. That's what it's for. To pay your rent, to go out to eat. And now, now you may be in a point in your life where there's not a, as much of that, but the beauty in, in give first, save second, and live on the rest is it's scalable. It's totally scalable. I mean, you may be at a point where, where you're making X, and at some point in your life you'll be making 2X. That's great. You're still going to Give 2x, you're going to save 2x, and you're going to live on 8x. No, 2, well, 2x. Okay, I'm, I'm not a math major. So anyway, just go, just go with me on that. All right? It's scalable. If you're a millionaire, you can still do the same thing. The thing about that, if you live that way, here's why. First of all, you'll never go broke living that way. You'll never go broke if you give first, save second, and live on the rest. You won't go broke because you always have a plan. There'll always be some margin. You're always honoring God. You, you won't go broke. And here's the second reason. And maybe if you've heard nothing else that I've said today, I want you to hear this because I've seen so many people that, that have been here. If, if you follow this plan and if you live on the rest, if God speaks to you and God gives you direction, which I believe God does to me and to you, if you live this way, you will be in a position to be able to respond to God. I have known dozens and dozens of people who have heard from God that they need to do something. They need to sell this. They need to do that. They need to quit working here. They need to start moving there. They need to move to this country. They need to get out of here and start a church. They need to go be a missionary. They need to do that. And for some of them, unfortunately, the whole money thing becomes the thing that they can't get out from underneath because of the huge amount of debt, because of the dumb debt, because of the fact that their lifestyle is at a place where they're spending more than they're bringing in, all of a sudden they hear from God and they are truly not able to respond because they are in bondage because of their personal finances. And I don't want that for you. This church doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. And if you'll give first, save second, and live off the rest, you will be in a position that if God ever comes and speaks and tells you to go do something, to go do something for someone, to go buy something, to help this missionary, to do whatever it is that he says, you will be in a position where you can respond and you can do what God says. You don't want to be the other way around where you're like, I hear you, God, but there's no way I can do this. I'm stuck. You know, I, I can't even afford to pay all of the bills that come in for the month. How can I do this? So I want to leave you with two questions. Two things I want you to consider here as we wrap things up. First of all, here's the first question. Is there something that you need to do better to honor God with your money? Is there something that you need to be... For some of you, maybe it's the give first. Maybe you're like, I don't give first. Would you ask God that question? And if God says you need to do a better job of that, would, would you do that? I mean, Matt talked about tithing last week, did a great job, got in depth. Don talked about that today. But, 
But is there, maybe that's your issue, the, the give first. Maybe your issue is the save second. You know, you're just like, I don't save any money. I don't really, I'm not planning for my future. I don't really think about that. I'm just living day to day. Or, or maybe it's the whole margin. Maybe you live, you don't create any margin. But ask God, is there something you need me to do better? Is there something that I can do with my money that's gonna honor you that I'm not doing now, God? Be willing to ask yourself that question and then would you be willing to do whatever it is that God tells you to do. Whatever answer it is that he gives you, however he leads you, be willing to take a step of faith and do that. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you with. If you find yourself lost today, if I'm talking to you and you're like, man, I, I, I need some help, would you be willing to get some help and set up some accountability in your life? Um, Don did talk about talking with some people in here. I know some people who are really, really smart and really wise with this. And if you'll send me an email, if you'll talk to, with me after church, if, if you like, I need somebody to sit down and like, I need to put all my receipts and bills on the table and help them to like, help me organize this. You know what? We have some brilliant people within this church who would love to help you do that. And you know what? They want that for you. They don't want anything from you. They just want it for you. Okay, so if you find yourself there and, and you look at that question and God says, yeah, you need to find someone. Find someone, ask me, we'll get you in touch with someone. But it may be one of the best decisions that you ever make. Because money is a tricky thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it, we're sensitive about it and God provides it. But when we honor God with our money, when we just live in a way that honors God, there's such a sense of peace that comes from that. And that's the way that God truly wants us to live. And if we're going to be people who can release life into this world, into this community, and for others, we have to live in a way where we honor God with our money, and it's not binding us into what we're doing. So anyway, would you stand up with me? I want to have a word of prayer, and then we'll move into our communion and prayer time. Hey, Lord, I don't know where everyone's at on this issue, but I know a room full of this many people. We've got people all over the map. We've got people that are doing this well. We've got people that are just blowing this, and we've got a lot of people in between. Wherever each person is, I pray that they would just be honest with you and ask, God, what do you want me to do? Like, what changes do you want me to make? What do I need to start? What do I need to stop? And that we would be honest with ourselves when we hear the answer, that we'd be willing to take a step of faith and do that. I pray that for each person here. And Father, um, thank you that you care about us and that you want life for us. You're not wanting something from us. And thank you for each person here. And um, may we honor you with the way that we handle our paychecks and our money. And may it bring you glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. Every week here at Exodus, after the teaching time, we... Uh, take communion. And so in just a moment, I'll say another quick prayer and then we'll have people that'll come forward and we'll have um, two people over here, four in the center and two to my left. And you take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice and take it. You can take it there. You